0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric here with Iraq Veteran 8888. I got Chad with me. Hey. (laughs) Okay, we got another gun gripe episode for you. This one's called So Many Parts. All right, and I think you're really going to enjoy this one. This one is a legitimate gun gripe, and I swear you're going to come away from this one feeling pretty enlightened, I hope. Uh, Maybe you'll understand where we're coming from. Uh, Before we get started, I would like to thank our friends from Sonoran Desert Institute for supporting our videos. If you're looking for a career in gunsmithing, their programs are amazing. Uh, They are a distance learning group. They've got great financial incentives. Their instructors and their programs are absolutely amazing. They're one of the best in the industry. Tell them we sent you over there. Get yourself some education there. Uh, SDI, Sonoran Desert Institute. All right, so... When we say so many parts, what are we uh, referring to, Chad, with this whole thing?
1: Part support, right? Yeah, I think we're referring more to part support, but also, you know, gun designs out there that have so many freaking parts that it's almost impossible to keep enough on hand in case that gun goes down. And if it does go down, you're pretty much just screwed, you know.
0: I think it's, it's probably important to sort of preface this particular gun gripe with one very important distinction that I think people need to be aware of. The AR-15 and its popularity, one of the reasons that that platform is so popular is because the parts are so interchangeable. Uh, the parts are out there. They're very prevalent. I mean, you can get them. Uh, no problem. Uh, they're very affordable because so many people use the AR platform. Let's say that you have a bunch of like-minded people Uh, that you converse with on a regular basis, or maybe you train with on a regular basis. Maybe you have a homestead together, whatever the case may be. Maybe you just know that 12 or 15 dudes in your community that you can rely on all are armed with ARs as their uh, main means of of protection. It's totally easy to call up somebody like CMMG or whoever and pick yourself up a parts kit. Um, There's various oops kits out there. You can get firing pins, extractors, all kinds of small parts for very, very, very cheap, very affordable. And those parts are interchangeable amongst many different gun designs from many different manufacturers. So it's quick to see and to realize why the AR-15 is so popular, um, because the parts are available, they're cheap. Um, so I think that's an important way to kick off this video. That's why the AR has done so well, is because of its clear part support, its clear path that it's carved in the industry and in people's lives and in their training regimen and quite frankly the the gun has acquitted itself quite well over the years and has been proven to be a solid and reliable design so i think that's just an important thing to kind of you know make note of right out the gate all right well we'll be seeing you all later this video <laughs> now not all guns are we may not always be that lucky to have you know firearms that use such a, uh, let's just say, a common and available part and a cheap part. Mm. We've already talked about in the past where things like the FN products like Scars, you know, all the parts are expensive and hard to get and rarely in stock. So would it be one of those things where everybody wants to run a SCAR? Well, you might have to have deep pockets uh, Mm. to have the additional parts.
1: Well, you wouldn't, especially if you already have like, say you got like four or five ARs for different purposes. You know, you got like a 300 blackout, you got a 22, you got a couple of 5.56s, and then you got some like long range, like a 6 arc or a 6 AR or something. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have one parts kit, like like a oops parts kit for those five rifles, where you would have to have a single parts kit that, you know, in in all consideration would probably cost as much as all those parts that you have for all your 5 ARs just for one SCAR. You know, and I love the scar. Make no mistake, it's a great gun. But you know, to to keep it up and running, like the maintenance and whatnot, you have to do on it, and just the components you have to have on hand, like consumables, springs, firing pins, anything that yeah. might break. You know, it it is it is crazy how much more those parts cost. And like, look look at parts for like uh, proprietary ARs, like the KAC stuff, like SR15s. They have a lot of very specialized components, right? And those specialized components. Costs a lot of money. You know, it's, it's it's a nice gun. Very, very beautiful rifle, you know, just in form and function. But it costs more to keep them going. I ordered so. some additional
0: parts for my LMT, uh, my 16-inch LMT piston gun. And, of course, a lot of the things on the LMTs are proprietary as well, which is not a bad thing. It's still a great gun, but it kind of falls into that same territory where – you know, you're at the mercy of parts availability. You know, you can really only get the parts from one place pretty much directly from LMT. And that's not a dig on LMT because I love their guns. They're amazing. It's one of the best ARs I own and it delivers the goods in all the best ways. It is such a fantastic gun. One of my most accurate 16 inch guns that I own is my LMT piston gun. Um, So it's also worth noting. All right. For instance, Say that you and your buddies are thinking about maybe getting into some type of a semi-auto shotgun design or even a pump-action shotgun design. All right, well, what would be a good one to get, right? Like, something you could probably get parts for and something that's easy to work on. All right, would it be a good idea for everybody to pick up uh, vintage Browning uh, A5s? Anybody ever had an A5 apart down to the smallest component? Which version? (laughs) It's not fun. Like, they're... A pain in the butt to take completely apart and diagnose issues Mm -hmm. it's a great shotgun john browning's a genius i love the a5 probably not the thing you want to try to keep parts laying around for also the remington 1100 i have a love-hate relationship with that Mm -hmm. shotgun because the gas system's kind of weird the way it goes together you've got these seals that have to be periodically replaced and the gun will start short stroking and not working right And you have to replace these seals. And it just seems like kind of problematic to have to keep all that stuff laying around to replace it. They go through recoil springs pretty quickly. Not to say that it's not a good shotgun. It is. But is it something you want to have parts laying around for? Probably not. Right? All right. But the same argument could be made for like maybe the Mossberg 930, which probably is a more robust shotgun than the 1100. But still, then you got to deal with parts uh, support, mm-hmm. extractors, springs, things like that.
1: You do. Um, so, like, one, one part of this video, just sort of the, the initial concept is, like, guns that have very few parts that are completely functional, all right? You think about a Glock. We always come back to Glocks, right? Mm-hmm. So, Glocks have typically, like, 34 parts. That's it. The whole gun, 34 parts.
0: And it's user serviceable down to the smallest component by anybody with with a basic one tool. Yeah,
1: one tool. I mean, like literally just a little punch. You can Mm -hmm. take the gun from complete to all the pieces and put it right back together again. Um, So part simplicity. You know, the parts are are very well designed. They're not really prone to breakage. Yes, there are consumables. There are springs and a few other odds and ends. Sometimes the strikers will have uh, galling issues and things like that. Maybe occasionally it'll have like a heat treating issue on some part and it'll cause it to wear out prematurely. But for the most part, I mean, like how often have you replaced parts on Glocks besides like a recoil spring?
0: Well, you know? I would like to add one little thing to this uh, particular talking point, Chad. Uh, you're right. Glocks are simple. I will say this. I called up Smith and & Wesson, and I wanted to order an armorer's kit for my m p pistols because I have quite uh, a few of the original Gen 1, you know, the older school M&Ps, and I wanted to get a complete uh, complement of parts uh, to support my pistols. Glock will not sell you an armorer's kit directly with all the juicy components you might need to yep. keep your, your guns running. Uh, however, Smith & Wesson did, yep. and they were very easy to work with, so just take it for what you will. It's not like you can't just go on any random website and order the parts that you need. I mean, of course there's places like Brownells. I mean, there's all different types of places that you can order parts individually, but we're talking about like a ready to go kit where it's like, it comes with like a, I think um, the original MMP armors kit that I ordered, it comes in like this kind of like modified Plano box, like a fish and tackle box. And they've got all the parts in there, you know, Plenty of parts to keep your M&P pistols running forever, you know. And those pistols rarely break parts. But mm-hmm. when a part does go down, it's nice to know you got the ability to fix the issue. Yeah. Glocks will occasionally pop extractors, mm-hmm. springs, and consumables will wear out. You know, sometimes your guide rod assembly gets a little wore out. You need to replace, you know, recoil spring. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen them break that connecting bar mm-hmm. uh, on the trigger somehow. They break. I don't know. I've seen a few of them come in the shop at Moss, broken. So Glocks do break. They're not impervious to damage. But I think to Chad's point, what he's trying to say is that the nice thing about a Glock is that with one basic tool, you can get that thing completely dissected on your table, and you can replace and diagnose the part quickly, easily, and cheaply.
1: It's the Honda Civic of guns for a reason. Yep. And then you have you have guns. Uh, like, the most recent one in, in memory was... Uh, this para that uh matt bought yeah matt does the podcast with eric so shameless plug you know go check out life liberty in your pursuit um <laughs> we, we gave this gun to ray to look over and you know you bought a spring kit and everything for like kind of a replacement parts kit to respring because we were having some problems with it and it's like this double action only type deal and yeah. it's got a super light trigger it's it's weird just the way it operates but The gun is like a Rube Goldberg device. Oh, yeah. It's got like double the parts that any other typical handgun would have. And like you start getting into the trigger mechanism and all, and there's all these little pins and springs and levers and all this mess. It's like, how the hell did anybody ever come up with this? You know, like they started out like, well, how are we going to get this to stay there? It's like, oh, we'll just put a little pin here. Put a spring here, you know? It's a mousetrap. Like, man. But you've, you've got guns like that that, yeah, I mean, it's a great deal. And, yeah, it might be a functional piece, but... Is it is it really something that you're going to keep a complement of parts for, and especially try to repair yourself, especially when you know a pretty competent gunsmith is is like hesitant to, to work on it, you know, just because of the complexity of the design?
0: I think um, not to not to backpedal to shotguns, but I want to just mention uh, quickly when I was talking about the 1100. Now, I like the pump action, like the 870, uh, a marine magnum 870 parts are you know. Pretty well available Mm -hmm. for the 870s. 870 is a proven legacy design. Uh, The Mossberg 590 A1, arguably one of my favorite pump shotguns. Both of those shotguns are available with a marine-type finish. Um, That would be my go-to for just, you know, if I could only have one pump shotgun, I would have to say probably Marine Magnum. Their 870 would be my choice. Uh, I know that each shotgun has its uh, pool of people that like it or hate it. I will say parts support for both guns is quite good. Um, The parts are, you know, very cheap and easy to get. Um, So there's really very few issues that you'll have out of those guns. And if you know that a few of your buddies have, let's just say everybody decides, you know what, 870 is a great shotgun. I think I'll pick one up. Totally not a problem to have a couple of spare magazine springs. A couple of small detents that go missing from time to time, uh, you know, complete respring kits like your trigger return spring and all of the tiny springs in the trigger pack. Uh, there are ball bearings that can find their way. They can get out of here. Uh, so little things like that that are cheap and easy to have on hand. You can just have maybe uh, an extra area. So the way that I keep up with my parts is I buy these little tackle boxes and I just keep all of my parts in a tackle box. So you could literally just have a shotgun box, put shotgun parts on it, and then just label each little cell in there. You know, Remington 870, whatever, extractor, firing pin. You know, you could buy a few extra parts and have them on hand, and they're super easy to replace. So just keep that in mind. So. I think it's safe to say, like, we always keep coming back to these kind of proven legacy designs, mm-hmm. but I think there's a reason for it because they've held up well because of their simplicity, mm-hmm. uh, because of their ease of maintenance, ease ease of working on um, how well the parts do hold up. Mm-hmm. Like, they very rarely break, and if they do, you know, it's not that big of a deal to have spare parts mm-hmm. on hand. Um, but well, it does become, you know, once you become an advanced gun collector... And you end up having, you know, maybe a few hundred or two Mm. or three hundred guns or something like that. And you're thinking, well, I want to make sure I have a spare part on hand for whatever problem might occur. That does start to become, let's just say, a logistical
1: uh, nightmare. Yeah, it's definitely problematic. All right. Now, like, one thing to to think about is, all right, with with AR-15s, all right, for the most part, you've got a pretty standard base for ARs, right? I mean, most of the the general AR-15s out there by numerous manufacturers are all going to use most of the same components, right? So, like, a lower is pretty much a lower, you know, same magazine release, same safety, whatnot. There's all kinds of aftermarket safeties, but they all function the same way. They all fit in that lower. Um, When you think about, like, 9 millimeter PCCs, all right, you want to talk about so many parts. Even just normal, like, say... AR nines that are Glock fed or something like that. All right, just those. Some of them will have a different operating system, like between a blowback and like radio, radially delayed, like a CMMG, and then you've got the new design from Mean Arms. All those have a slightly different magazine placement in the lower, like the geometry is slightly different. So the lowers aren't compatible with the various uppers. Number one, the
0: springs aren't the same no. usually. All right, and then
1: you've got different. <laughs> you've got different magazines. Um, you know, magazine compatibility. So you've got lowers that take Glocks. You've got lowers that take CZ, Scorpion mags. You've got lowers that take uh, m mags, Sig mags. All those have different geometries. They all have different magazine releases. So just that right there is like a, a mousetrap in itself. It's right? almost
0: like this Wild West free-for-all. <laughs> like is. when they when they went into 9 millimeter PCCs, they were like, well, what magazine should we make it take across the board? I don't know. Whatever. Colt. What, what mag do we have? Mm-hmm. The OG is Colt mags. I mean, yeah. but I mean, like their thinking, I guess, just always was well, may- maybe they just treated it like it was- wasn't was going to be a-, a meaningful part of the market. And they're like, well, I don't know. What do we have laying around? Mm-hmm. Colt mags. Colt mags. And that was left over, right, yep. from the 80s and the pre band yep. stuff. And also, <laughs> you can understand where the-, the temptation would be there to just use what you've already got a pile of. I mean, that makes sense, right? Yep. But uh, the nine millimeter PCC realm, you're right, has been yeah. muddied. Let's just say in terms yeah. of parts support. So let, let's say let's use CMMG for example. If you do want to just run a delayed, de, uh, de, radially delayed blowback, okay, oh, it's really hard for you to say. Uh, it is. It is. That's a very hard <laughs> thing for a redneck to say. So give me a little bit of of, of help here, but. <laughs> if you were going to run something like that, uh, you can totally call up CMMG mm-hmm. and just get the spare parts you might need. Mm-hmm. So it it's not like, you know, if you go through a, qual- a good company, Daniel Defense or CMMG or LMT or, you know, any of the guys mm-hmm. we're talking about, you can order parts. It's not a problem. And, uh, and, and look, maybe we're making a bigger issue about this than what really even needs to be made an issue, all right? One would argue, all right, how often have one of you broke a part in a gun that you needed to replace? Chances are probably not many unless you run your guns pretty hard. We're talking about longevity. Mm -hmm. We're talking about maybe in a situation where you don't have the benefit of going to the local gunsmith who probably wouldn't have that part anyway. They're not going to keep parts laying around for that CMMG. We're talking about the kind of person who wants to keep their gun running but knows that, hey, I might need to have a few spare parts. For instance, for the MK-47, I've got spare bolts. And I've got spare firing pins, and I've got some spare gas system components because mm-hmm. it does use a hybrid type of system that is proprietary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those parts really do not cost any more than a standard AR part. I've just got to make the you know the mental clarification of oh okay these are MK47 parts. I've got to segregate these and put them in their own little area. Mm-hmm. Same thing for the Daniel Defense. You know, if I wanted to have a spare carrier uh, for the DD5V4, right? That carrier has a special weighted buffer assembly and everything. So, yeah, it would have to be a proprietary part just for that gun. I guess that just comes down to, you
1: know, some guns are just have a little bit specialized components. They do. So I think ultimately um, the decision that one has to make is if you have, uh, you know, even a modest collection of firearms – And you want to keep certain guns running, your life and liberty guns. Okay. That's what we always call them. You know, you, you just need to distinguish, distinguish which ones you really want to focus on getting the essential spare parts for. And then you have to decide after that. I think that's kind of the first step. That's the most important thing. All right. Keeping the guns that you plan to defend everything that you love with, right? You need to get that taken care of first. And then, um, after that, you can go down the line. And if you've got, say, like multiple K31s or something. Then you get on like Liberty Tree or Sarko or whoever, you know, and you buy a few spare parts that are, are consumable because, yeah, we want to keep those kind of guns running like milservs and such. Um, but I, I think you just kind of go down the line and just figure out what's most important to you and just keep those parts around. And, you know, personally, if I could go back and do it over again, I probably would have had more guns that share parts uh, than than not. You know like like a, I go back to the PCCs because there's so many like PCCs out there and they are all so vastly different that's right you know like a compared to just ARS you know well Liberty I
0: mean, tree is a type of website that gets you in trouble if you're not careful oh, with that. here we go oh man look okay here's a weird thing right here next to me on the wall this is a youngman an AG42 and it's so weird that this just happens to be right here mm-hmm. because you can go to Liberty tree and get every single Part for the Youngman. every single, every tiny screw that this gun uses, you can get on Liberty Tree. Get and it it's now. just so weird to think that, you know, that people have gone through the effort over the years to categorize and catalog all of these weird and obscure parts and make them available to people who want to be able to keep their firearms running. A uh, Great example, okay? Um, my M1 carbine was acting up the other day and we couldn't get it running right, and it turns out it was way, the springs were way wore out, and it had the original springs from 1944 in it, apparently. So I ordered a spring kit, and, we, and Ray resprung it for me, and now she's good to go. So see, it's like little things like that. Like the M1 carbine's a fantastic gun that even by today's standards, it holds water, it holds defensive, you know, water in terms of being a capable defensive tool in a good shooter's hands, right? And they're worth keeping running. And I bought the spring kit for the M one carbine literally for eighteen dollars mm-hmm. for every spring in the entire gun. Yep. So and a great example, um, so like on the M one carbines, it have the you know the standard uh thirty and fifteen shot mags. Um so the World War II era mags that were like little fifteen shot mags. And you might have a magazine that is very rare and valuable and you know, you want to keep that thing working and running. You can always replace uh, you know, the actual magazine spring and just rebuild the mag. So the body and the follower and the uh, base plate is all original with the, all the original parkerizing and, um, and markings, but just with a fresh spring in there mm-hmm. to keep those mags going. So I guess that would also be a thing. Don't neglect the magazine springs too. Mm-hmm. Some magazine springs are super, super cheap. Like Glock mag springs are cheap. AR-15 mag springs are cheap. Doesn't hurt to have a few extra mag springs laying around mm-hmm. and rebuild your magazines as well.
1: You know what's fun about springs so, when they go when things go flying oh yeah that's that's real fun, but <laughs> what's cool um is like you can buy say you have a, a spring diameter that you need and maybe like a tension you can buy spring stock and you can make your own springs and that kind of gets me into another point like thinking about okay, parts to keep your guns running. Well, if you got a mill and a lathe, guess what? you, you got, got parts. That's true. I mean, yeah. springs, so,
0: however, are a completely different animal they to are. actually make. Yeah. So they are. I would almost, I guess, venture to say that, withstanding of let's just say having a machine shop in your basement, um, I would say springs are probably a very important component to have laying around, springs, especially yeah. for the cost.
1: Springs literally make the world go round. I mean, yeah, like like Eric, you know, had that M1 carbine that was causing issues. I cost eighteen dollars to yeah. fix it. Recoil spring, all right. That was the culprit. It's just, I mean, the thing was like a wet noodle, yeah. You know, like right. But I mean, you can feel a discernible difference with a spring, and over time they do wear out. Grab it, but it's right behind you. Oh
0: god. Uh, you know, springs are definitely something you want to look into. I would keep spare springs, firing pins, and extractors. Um, extractors break, so you know, much but better. yeah. But see, see the difference. So much better. I mean, that, that's got, yeah, that's how it's supposed to feel. It was real loose. It just didn't have quite the oomph that it needed. And I was getting a lot of failures to feed mm. and, you know, just lots of, of random little issues. Yeah. And, uh, it just ended up needing to be resprung. And also, uh, the extractor it turns out was actually broken. Oh, God. That was, yeah. It had a chip <laughs> in it. Yeah. So again, a great example mm. of, I mean, an extractor for an M1 carbine is so reasonably priced. Mm. There's no reason for every shooter who really loves a certain gun design mm-hmm. to not keep extractors, firing pins, and springs laying around. I think that'll get you going pretty freaking far. But just understand that parts are a thing. And we've already done gripes where we kind of talked about this a little bit, but not quite in this way, where whereby like some guns are absolute mouse traps. We could even talk about air rifles, right? Mm-hmm. Think about all the seals and random stuff you got to keep laying around to keep your air rifles
1: running. Yep. You can't exactly make O-rings. In your house, you know.
0: But, But, I mean, O-rings do represent an incredibly cheap cost. I mean, you can get seal kits for all types of stuff. It's not going to set you back a lot of money at all and probably keep those guns running for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything else? No, man.
1: I mean, I think we're good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, the vehicle that drove this discussion from the very beginning was that Para Mm -hmm. with all of those weird parts in it and everything. And I always keep coming back to the Browning A5. The older Browning A5s, Actually, have timed screws, and sometimes the engravings are timed, mm-hmm. right? So each screw has to go back. A capture screw might have to go back in the same spot, so that when it's torqued down to the correct specification, that the engraving lines back up. I mean, uh, you talk about Rube Goldberg. I mean, that's that's pretty involved.
1: A fives are no fun. I've only had a few of them apart, and uh, I don't want to have any more apart. We didn't discuss
0: rim fires. Let's hit on that real quick. Okay. I mean like the Ruger 1022, like I know that that keeps getting brought up in a lot of different circles. But the reason that the Ruger 1022 is such a great rifle is because of cheap available parts and because there's just so dang many of them Mm -hmm. that it's almost a standardized
1: item at this point. It is. I mean, you've got tons of different manufacturers out there that produce not only receivers, bolts, triggers, but for the most part. All those parts between all the major manufacturers are made to a very um, discerning specification, right? And they're typically all interchangeable. Like you can run, like like me, I've got MOA receiver, I've got a, a standard Ruger bolt, I've got a kid trigger group, but you could easily replace that trigger group with a Volkorsen, or use a, a kid receiver with a and trigger group. Mm-hmm. You know, all all those parts fit together the same. The barrel. Um, the, the barrel attachment method is all the same, right? It uses the, the wedge system. You know, it's just a little tension wedge that goes up front, unless it's threaded, whatever. Um, but comparing it to something like, say, a CZ-452, 455, 457, that's three different versions of the same base gun that, for the most part, all have different parts. You know, the 452 has a different barrel attachment method to the 455 the 457 has a different receiver design, different bolt design, different safety mechanism. So, between like even generations of guns in some lines, mm-hmm. you've got different parts that are specific for that exact generation and that are not interchangeable with anything else. But the 1022 though, I mean, pretty much probably 99% of stuff's out there will work on any 1022 all going all the way back to the originals that were produced.
0: Gosh, I mean, look at all the changes that were made to the Ruger P series. I mean, look at all the changes that were made to the Smith & Wesson Model 59 series. Good God, Look at all of the random polymer guns that Smith & Wesson came out with in the early days. Those guns aren't around anymore. Mm -hmm. If you break something, where are you going to get a part? So, it's not to say that like in time yes we obviously want to see the industry you know develop products that are better and better but some of those old legacy designs that are still out there have to have parts support now granted if you break a part on a model 59 you're in luck i mean there's tons of parts out there so that's no issue so but as a firearm design begins to get a little older especially if it's not a particularly popular design uh, you're going to find it very difficult to obtain uh you know parts for said gun uh, in the future the Ruger ten twenty two has carved out its path as being um, probably the industry standard auto loading rim fire rifle and for a reason so parts on it are super easy to replace if you've got a Ruger ten twenty two from the seventies and you buy a bolt brand new you can drop it in and it's going to work in that gun that's how precise they've held uh, that mantra over the years mm-hmm. uh, Anyway, we could talk about this all day, but I think you guys get the idea. The 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 sort of common thread that we're kind of coming up with here is that the more prevalent and common and proven a given firearms design is, the better chance you're going to find a multitude of parts for a very reasonable cost and the better chance that those parts are going to fit a wider variety of different gun designs that are out there that your buddies might be running. So mm-hmm. that if it comes down to it and you need to replace a part for somebody... You'll probably have the parts you need if you kind of stick to those basic gun designs.
1: So I didn't really consider like the AK, but I mean, the parts tolerance is so loose. I mean, pretty much anything from any gun will fit on somebody else's, you know. You just take
0: a rusty roofing nail and just make a firing (laughs) pin. And, you know, if if (laughs) you need to clean the bore, (laughs) you just take your boot laces off and dip them in grease. No big deal. You know, if you need to jump off a battery, you just take the thing and just use the gun to jump off the battery. I mean, like AKs... Yeah, I think you know
1: you can we'll see, probably like, kind of get there. Well, you know? see, the thing is, you don't need parts for AKs because AKs don't die, right? Ooh, ooh, man, man, ooh, y'all, y'all who stuck around ooh. for the last part of this video, you AR fifteen
0: people out there are probably going gritting your teeth. Now, look, AKs are cool. The only issue I've ever had with AKs in terms of like, let's just say I want to keep some parts laying around for a given gun design, right? I love the uh, Vepers. And I love the old Russian American Armory imports of the Segas and all. But you can't get those parts anymore. I can't just call up and order spare parts. So it's like if I break an extractor on a Sega 12, I've got to dig it out of either a DD or I've got to try to find one of the Chinese knockoffs that is a Sega copy and hope that I can make the extractor fit. That's not a very healthy paradigm to exist within. That if I break a part, I've got to take some copy and... and Try to find the part or whatever. Now, there are some parts out there. But the other issue I've always had with AKs and parts support is that there's so many different countries that made them and so Mm -hmm. many different specs for the parts kits. And there's so many different things out there. That you have to really do your research to know. Okay, well, if I want to have a spare bolt, a spare firing pin, a spare carrier, um, spare like the hammer springs are really not that big of a deal. They're pretty universal across most of the builds, with a few rare exceptions. Uh, hammers, triggers, mm, generally about the same. You know, you can you can get by with the Tapco's pretty well. Mm-hmm. The G two uh, Tapco kit or a good drop in Geisley is totally a, a very doable. Uh, upgrade you can do on your own, and if you just want to have some spares, you can do that. But AKs have always presented a challenge because there's so many varieties of them, and the parts all have a slightly mm-hmm. different spec, and you have to be well researched to really know what's going on. Man. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I just I didn't really think about it earlier on in the video, but you know the, the the idea of the AK came up. So yeah. but you know, just poking a little fun, guys.
0: No, so, I like yeah. AKs. You know, they, they have their place, but I think it's also important to make the distinction that. AKs were a firearm that were, they were engineered to be manufactured. right? In so mass the, quantities. In mass yeah. quantities. So it was meant to build it, test fire it, send it out the door to conscript, there you go. You know, it, they didn't really have the end uh, serviceability of the user level serviceability in the forefront of the design. It was more of a... uh well, if you take the armor and bullet, no, go out of barrel no more. They just give you another gun and throw that broken one in a pile, and they sell it off as scrap. I mean, it's a, it was a disposable gun. Sorry, but it is a. Very, I like them, yeah. but
1: but that's the truth. It is one of the the more simple gun designs, and you know, keep it simple, stupid comes you know, comes to mind. You and know,
0: very rarely do so. I mean, do they break? They do hold up well. Um, I would say that probably. The one part on an AK you probably want to have on hand recoil springs, hammer, uh, spring assembly, trigger return springs, springs. Another AK. But also, well, or that, but, but also, uh, <laughs> extractors. Now, it, your chamber gets real dirty. You get some nasty ammo with rust all over it. I, I have seen them blow extractors. Mm-hmm. Uh, extractors are easy to replace on the AK, no problem. And as far as I know, uh, most of the bolts, with the exception of some of the Segas and things like that, do generally share an extractor. So that might not be a bad idea to have one laying around. And the cool thing is, is if you're running an old school AK with the butt stock cleaning kit assembly in in the rear of it, you can actually um, just take yourself uh, some plastic or whatever and just wrap a few springs up in an extra extractor and just put it in there with the cleaning kit. And that way it's always on hand if you need it. And just pick one up to go with each rifle, and that way you don't ever have to worry about it. The chances of popping an extractor are slim, but still a chance that you can blow an extractor on an AK. Same goes with a, a nice A2, right? Mm-hmm. Many of us love the, uh, the A2 style stock, and it's got that cleaning kit uh, area in the back. You could totally put an oops kit in there, an extra firing pin. There's room for a spare bolt, a spare extractor, all of that. So, that each of your rifles that you want to rely on, you know that you can pop that trapdoor and you've got instant parts, your own little part storage right there in the buttstock. So, that's one reason I like the military stocks is because of the storage as well. So,
1: most effective use of space. It is. I was going to make a joke about, you know, keeping spare parts in your AK and, you know, you, you really don't ever need them because they don't ever really break, do they? I
0: mean, you know. very rarely. I mean, I don't really see a lot of parts go go out, I mean unless it's just like consumables and things
1: well, you know unless you're you and, you know I mean, or Tim you know, like lighting guns on fire I mean, well
0: yeah sort of thing, you know. yeah we, we need a few handguards from time to time now Tim
1: we? yeah I will make the joke that Tim does need a lot of part support because good God that man can break anything he sure I mean, can by looking at it he sure can worse than us I mean yeah,
0: much worse yeah I think you guys get the gist of this gripe. Uh, I really appreciate you all tuning in for this particular one. I think we're going to leave you on that note. Uh, we tried to cover a wide variety of different uh, parts and things like that. So maybe some of you can come away with a little bit more enlightenment and keep that in mind. Also, parts are awesome, but don't forget toolkits too. Um, the Brownells, quick shout out, but the Brownells Magnitip, uh kit, the basic one, the little square box about this big indispensable piece of gear to have if you mess around with your own firearms at all. Uh, Their basic punch sets and their basic armor sets are an indispensable and absolutely necessary piece of gear for any gun owner to have. Eventually, you will need to replace a part, and you need to have the correct tools to do it. So that's something I'd recommend, and they don't cost a ton of money. So it's definitely something that everybody needs to make that tiny investment and get. So anything else? That's it. All right, and most importantly, keep your parts organized. Take yourself a little fish and tackle bin, whatever you need to catalog those parts and take care of them. Because over time, it can get confusing. You know, you start having a whole bunch of parts. You want to make sure that you're cataloging all that stuff and keeping up with it. So get yourself organized. That's important too. Big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for supporting today's video. Thank you for being a part of what we do. Go over to Ballistic Inc. and pick yourself up a awesome new T-shirt. That's one way you can support our efforts more directly. Many more videos on the way, and go get yourself some spare parts, or don't. Do whatever you want, I suppose. But hopefully, this video uh, enlightened some folks and uh, got you got the wheels turning a little bit. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Many more videos on the way, and yes, Chad is still here. He ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Look at that. That he ain't going nowhere. Look at that man. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. See you next time.